Welcome to another episode of the Green Section podcast series. I'm the host, Adam Miller, Director of Education for the USGA Green Section. In this episode, I spoke with Troy Flanagan, who's the Director of Golf Course Maintenance at the Olympic Club. They've got a major renovation coming up on the uh, famed lake course led by Gil Hans and his design team. So Troy and I dove into the specifics of the project, including designing a root zone mix and thinking about things like coefficient uniformity and variable depth and scanning the greens. And it's uh, really a nice follow-up to the earlier episode we did with Olympic Club Green Chairman Marissa Mart. So it's a really neat episode. I think you'll enjoy it. Troy. How's it been? Uh, you know, long, long time uh, since we last spoke at the Women's Open in, uh, you know, what was that, end of May 2021. So how's uh, how's things been going in uh, San Francisco? Hey, Adam. Uh, it's been going good. Really good. We uh, got through our hangover after the, the Women's Open last year. And uh, <laughs> so that, that took a few months and took a couple of vacations, you know, post-COVID, post-Open. was nice to uh, to get away and do some things. So so that was great. And then uh, this year really just been ramping up for the upcoming renovations. So uh, uh, it, it seems like it was just yesterday, Adam, you were out here. So not 18 months later. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's neat, neat to think about it. And I like the way you describe the uh, the post-open hangover. There's there's the, the literal hangover that sometimes happens uh, after a, a long week like that. And then, um, you know, just... Uh, the actual part of, um, you know, kind of putting the golf course back together and all that excitement and then, you know, roll right back into, uh, to, to everyday maintenance. And now, you know, planning for a, a really major renovation, which is what we're, uh, what we're going to talk about today. So, um, I think most listeners are familiar with Olympic club, uh, and, uh, you know, so we're going to talk about the renovation, but for those who aren't, can you give us a quick overview of your facility, um, you know, located in the San Francisco Bay Area, how many courses do you have on property? Uh, you know, stuff stuff like that. Olympic Club is very unique. So we're an athletic club uh, first. So our largest athletic club in the country. We have eleven thousand members. So of those eleven thousand, uh, eleven hundred are golfing members. So they have a golfing privilege, just like most private clubs. They can come and play. Uh, whenever they want, uh, aren't paying a fee, but the other 10,000 have access to the club. So we're a very busy facility. Uh, we have two clubhouses, one in the heart of San Francisco where the, uh, uh, the gymnasiums are, the uh, basketball, uh, uh, swimming, locker, weightlifting, uh, cardio, uh, and food and beverage, of course. And then about 11 miles away at Lakeside is where we have our uh, two championship courses, the lake and the ocean. The lake is one that's hosted the uh, five men and one women U.S. Open. And then the ocean course is the other, the other championship course that we use for uh, the amateurs. The other course for the amateurs, the uh, uh, USGA four ball that we had in 2015. And uh, it's actually an easier golf course. Uh, members actually like that golf course uh, to play more. It doesn't beat you up as much as the lake course. And then uh, lastly, we have a really cool nine-hole cliffs golf course, uh, par three course out by the ocean, about 200 feet above the ocean, uh, just phenomenal views, uh, really a highlight to get out there on a nice sunny day. Yeah, we had the uh, good fortune of talking with Marissa Marr, your green chairman, uh, on an earlier podcast, uh, you know, kind of from her perspective uh, about the renovation and 
I had mentioned to her, I think the, uh, the cliffs course would be, it's a hard place to, to leave. That thing looks just so, so fun. Um, one of those, you know, famous Instagram accounts that, uh, you know, takes all those golf photos. It's, I noticed a bunch of shots of, of the cliffs course there. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to have a bad day over there. That's for sure. So when we, we talked to Marissa Mar, your green chair, um, she referred to this project that you've got going on at the Olympic club as a historical, uh, renovation. And Gil Hans, uh, has developed a master plan and is really leading that renovation, um, on the lake course in, in just a few weeks, if I'm not, not mistaken. So is the club from this restoration, you know, uh, is it looking to restore the golf course, uh, specifically the lake course to a, a certain point in time, like a certain 1929 aerial or something like that? Um, you know, is, is that the way you guys are going about it? It's well said. We, the course was built in the 1924 and many trees were planted in the 30s and 40s. And then come 1955 to get ready for the first U.S. Open that we had here, uh, Robert Trent Jones Sr. came in and did a fairly major renovation. Uh, the routing stayed the same, but removed a lot of fairway bunkers, uh, which I believe were impacted because of all the trees that were planted. Uh, so it's either remove trees or remove fairway bunkers. So uh, did that, uh, reshaped the greens, things like that. So it really changed the uh, the feel of the lake course, if you will, from the original design. So Gil, his, his big thing is put it back the way the dead guys did it. He and his team really scoured for as many aerials and many photos as he could to get the sense and the feel of the golf course from the the way it was originally designed uh, by Willie Watson back in the 20s. So that that was his his goal. So I guess on the aerials, it sounds like Gil and his team led led most of that to, to do that search. But where where do they go for that kind of stuff? I know there's like historicaerials.com and you know even Google has got the the history tab. But just curious if if there's any insight into maybe other courses and how they're you know can dig up some aerials on their own. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great question, and I really didn't get into that uh, where he and his team look. Uh, we also have a uh, uh, Jessica Smith is our club historian, and she also has a, uh, a plethora of different photos from the different eras. Gil's team is really good at doing this because they've done it at so many other great clubs throughout the country. Yeah, that, that team is really, really awesome to work with and uh, really impressive to see what what they can find. You know, you, you mentioned Robert Trent Jones did a uh, renovation, I think in the fifties or so, but didn't move any, didn't, didn't really mess with the routing too much. Is there anything going on with Gill and uh, the routing of, you know, individual holes changing noticeably? So the only change the club has made to routing was in 2009, we extended the seventh hole, which is a short par four, uh, extended that a little bit, but the major thing was taking number eight, a par three, which is also a short par three, and moving that uh, to a different location, obviously not too far away. Uh, so that was done in 2009. So what Gil is doing is he's leaving the eighth hole where it's at, really good par three looking back at the clubhouse, but he's going to change the green location on number seven to actually go on top of where the old eighth tee used to be. I would say, Adam, he is going to 
change the orientation of that hole by about five degrees. Not going to be a big change. He's going to move the tees a little bit to left and move the green a little bit further and down to the right. So not a huge change, but he's going to get the seventh green closer to the eighth tee and create, uh, which it's a drivable par four now, he's going to create another drivable par four, but with a little different feel to it. That's really cool. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, drivable par fours are, especially for championship golf, um, super, super fun. That was, it was, we had, you know, a lot of players going for it in the, uh, the women's open. Um, I remember that green site really well. It's, that, that'll be, that'll be awesome. How do you view your role? And then, you know, you've got a number of folks, uh, that, that support you, you know, the, your, your core superintendents and things. So describe kind of the roles of, of everyone involved with the project. So I do, I have a great team and Adam, you, you know, pretty much every single one of them, uh, very fortunate. Andrew Crawford has been here at the club probably about 11, 12 years now. Uh, he's my director of agronomy, uh, my right hand person. So as I'm in the work office working through uh, permitting and scheduling and all these different uh, projects that I'm doing to get ready for the, the uh, renovation. Andrew uh, is working with our two superintendents, Kyle Moore of the lake and Jared Keefe of the ocean, really to keep, keep the golf course hitting on all cylinders, keeping the members happy. Uh, so that, that's really where we're at right now to get ready for this. As far as when we start the renovation, uh, it's gonna be ha all hands out there. I mean, we're gonna have an ocean course and a cliffs course that will be open to the members. Obviously, it's going to be very important to keep uh, that golf course or those two golf courses in really good shape while we uh, tear up the lake course. So uh, myself and Andrew and Kyle, the superintendent, uh, will be out there you know, all day long, every day. So look forward to it. And then I have four other great assistants uh, who are just really good young turf professionals. And then also my equipment manager, Philip Gill is also a uh, former system mine with a turf degree so it's really cool having him uh, also with the turf degree taking care of our equipment yeah it's definitely all hands on deck and you know having the having the ability to basically shut down the lake and and get play on the ocean and the cliffs course is great you, you know you still have give the members an opportunity to play somewhere but i always use the this analogy and maybe it doesn't resonate with people but it's like you're doing a kitchen renovation in your house. And it's amazing how if you're just impacting one room, the rest of the house tends to get a little chaotic too. And and that's, I think, how it is sometimes when you still got to try to maintain, you know, championship conditions and high quality turf over on those other courses while you've got this massive project. It's just like, that's that's a tough spot to be in. Um, so I know you guys are going to gonna do great at it, but it's it's like... Yeah, your your head's going to be spinning at the end of each day. Yeah, no, it's it's well said, and like I said, we we have a great team here, and I no doubt feel that we'll be able to make sure those other uh, golf courses are in great shape. You know, the biggest impact courses of members. Uh, we're a very busy facility, and now the Cliffs course gets played, but not nearly as much as the two eighteen hole courses. So, uh, our tee sheets post COVID, Adam, are still just slammed every day. It doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday, Friday, or Saturday, Sunday. It's uh, it it's slammed. So that that's the biggest inconvenience. But at least they have a golf course or a facility to come play. You know, of course, across the street, Lake Merced just got done with the renovation. And the members had no place for 
you know, the better part of nine to 10 months uh, other than going to other facilities. So we're, we're fortunate in that regard. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a good problem to have, right? To, to still have to maintain another course and give uh, give your folks a place to play. Uh, let's let's dive specifically into uh, the renovation of the lakes course and, and really start with greens. Plans call for you know greens expansion by I think about an average thirty five percent is what I read. Which I mean that's that's a lot. You guys are are uh, on the list of sort of the smaller size greens uh, for. Um, what we've had in like recent U.S. Opens, but expanding by 35%, you know, that'll be cool. What, in, in your mind, what's the primary goal of enlarging the greens, aside from just sort of getting them back to where they were, as close to where they were as, as possible? Yeah, that that's probably the part I'm most excited about, and I think uh, all of us turf turf professionals here and anywhere love to have a little bit bigger greens. Uh, our, our tiny greens on the lake course, which... Uh, a stat was shown this last year at uh, Brookline. Uh, Pebble Beach has the smallest Olympic club, the second, and I think Brookline was the third. Uh, it's difficult, especially with all the play we have. But what's happened over all these years is greens, as we all know, shrink. You know, mowing practices and whatever, all the things that we do, they shrink. But the bunkers stay where they're at. They tend to stay about in the same location. So what's happened, and Gil really showed us this, is that the greens have really become disjointed from the bunkers there's now times where you're you have three four five paces between the the collar of the green and the bunker edge and as he showed us that's not how the golf courses were designed back then they all came right up next to the bunkers in doing that it allows you now if you're going to take three paces off the collar to put a, a a cup location it allow now allows for to challenge the best golfers in the world to put a, a, a pin in a place where in the past it was rough. Uh, so now if that that professional or great amateur misses a little bit, they, they will most likely be in the hazard. For the average golfer, like most of us and like most of the people that play every day, now the greens are that much bigger. So if they're shooting to the middle of the green and miss it, which we tend to do, now there's a pretty good chance you're actually going to be on the green if you have a little bit of a mishit. So it's pretty pretty cool how it helps both the average golfer and make your golf course even more challenging by having bigger greens. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's greens is is one part of it. I see it all the time with even pushing out fairways and getting getting fairway wisps back out a little bit and wider approaches. Um, it's it's neat how it just sort of makes the features pop a little bit and then gives the the better players typically, you know, they, they have to think a little bit more than like, you know, you got more shot variety and then the average player can pull it a putter or maybe just hit a few more greens, um, you know, in the process. So one thing I wanted to touch on around the greens construction selfishly, if I ever get a chance to work another U S open, uh, at the lake course, I, I have a, a crazy memory. I can remember like my stimp locations, right now from the front nine uh last year that that i had so i can remember all those i I remember the contours pretty well on the greens i'm wondering are you guys going to be doing any green scanning to recreate those same contours Um, and then also are you doing any like adjusting of a of a tilt of an axis like that's been something that some courses have done where they've maintained the contours but softened the tilt a little bit to uh to get more hole locations so Anything, uh, anything like that with green scanning? Yeah, great, great question. So 
we're working with a company called GreenScan 3D. Uh, we've been working with Kyle Johnson. So he's come out already and scanned all of our greens. Uh, the goal is to come back and put these greens, uh, the surfaces of the greens back to the way they were before. There will be a little bit of adjustment on the back left of three atom. If you remember that green, there's a, could be a great pin placement back there, but the green falls off a little too much. So Gil's gonna fix that. But the green surface will be the same when we get done. And then from the green to the bunker, you know, where we're expanding, Gil will tie those areas in uh, and, and do his magic. Uh, it's a little combination of both. So the great thing is, is the putting surface is the way they are now. We're going to keep that characteristic, which is really important uh, for the, uh, uh, the the integrity of this this great golf course. That's that process. As far as uh, any tilting or anything like that, no. I mean, as you know, these greens, there's not a lot of uh, great undulations in them, but they're tricky. They're really tricky. So. I don't, I don't think there's any, you know, what you're talking about, the other part of the question. You mentioned, uh, you know, in three green, the example, and then the tie-ins of, you know, working gills magic. And uh, I feel like the the, uh, the variable depth root zone discussion, it's it's something that a number of courses have done recently, and, and it works really well in the right situation. But it's a bit of a blend of of more art than science, I think, with knowing kind of where to feather you know, the variable depth out and that kind of stuff. So um, are you guys going to do anything with variable depth on the greens? Yes, we are going going to do variable depth. Uh, we've worked with turf and soil diagnostic uh, with Sam and his team. Uh, he gives us a great report and he shows anywhere from 10 to 17 inches is our ideal uh, depth for these greens. So uh, on these false fronts or the lower areas, uh, we're going to stay within that 10 inches and not go any lower than that. And then uh, when we get these high areas um, where we want to uh, try to keep a little more moisture in, uh, you know, we'll be somewhere probably in that closer to 15 inches would be my guess. But this is the first time I've ever done it. So I'm going to rely on uh, uh, both uh, Total Turf, uh, who's doing the project, and then uh, Gill's team with Caveman Construction. And then also working with your counterpart, Brian Whitlark, out here uh, out west with the USGA. He's been a huge help uh, to me, to Andrew and myself. Nice. That'll, that'll be a good team. To The Gills team has obviously done this a number of times. Um, and once you have the concepts down, it is just a matter of like doing all the due diligence and testing, you know, and working with Sam's team is obviously a huge advantage there, too, because they've also been a part of this this project. I'm excited. I think... Uh, you know, as we most of the time we see on on older greens that are pitched back to front, the the front of the greens, even USGA greens, they they tend to be softer, a little wetter. So I'm I'm excited to to see how this can help us uh, keep the fronts of these greens a little firmer. Um, I wanted to touch on another topic, kind of related to the root zone, and you know, some some pretty recent high profile renovations have had, you know, installations of, you know, radiant heating or cooling systems in greens. You know, you, you hear a lot about precision air and sub air type systems. So was that anything you guys considered um, at, uh, at Olympic Club? Well, it was something we consider, you know, you want to consider everything, but we have a very unique uh, environment out here, if you will. Uh, our rainy season's in the winter, so it will start sometime in November and go through March, 
April, that time frame. And then we, we'll receive barely a drop of rain in between, uh, you know, freak rainstorm here and there. So that's also our tournament season, not just our member tournament season, but any of the championships that we have. So we don't have the concern about rains coming in when we have a U.S. Open, a U.S. Amateur, uh, any of these kind of championships. So we're not worried about that. We're already in our dry season, so it's all about irrigation management. So that that was that was really the big driving force. So to go in and put, you know, these systems that cost not just thousands and thousands of dollars, but really take a lot of energy to run during a time of year when we we don't even have member tournaments. We have a couple member tournaments, one in December, a Christmas tournament, and then a, a fun, which is fun, and a fun St. Patrick's Day tournament. But that's really that's really it. So just didn't make sense to uh, to to install any of those systems. All right, let's talk about you know the green surface themselves and the and the varieties um, you guys converted from Poa to Bankrass before the uh, the 2012 U.S. Open. Um, so. You've got another another crack at obviously regrassing the greens here, um, and taking advantage of modern technology. So, what's the bankerized variety you're going to choose on the greens, and you know how'd you come to that decision? Yeah, so we're going to go with pure distinction. Um, we we did a lot of research. It's it's really difficult. You know, I just talked about our environment out here. Our problem a lot of times, and you know this, Adam, is uh, lack of sun. Uh, we will be 55 to 62 degrees from June through August into September. And a lot of those days are foggy, uh, very cool, sometimes drippy. So it, it's hard to look at other greens that are half an hour, 45 minutes inland when the weather's 20, 30, 40 degrees hotter, sunny. Uh, it, it's just really difficult. So we looked at what other golf courses along the coast have weather somewhat like ours and, and have some of the newer bent grasses out there. And uh, one of them in particular uh, is MPCC, the Dunes course, so Monterey Peninsula Country Club. And uh, uh, talking to Chris Dahlheimer down there, uh, Chris used to be at Pebble Beach for many years, uh, went down there, Andrew and I went down there and took a look and he absolutely loves the grass. Um, it, it's done extremely well. He's had it for I don't know, roughly five years. Uh, the stand looks great. He's able to achieve speeds, and uh, again, it, it it's dealt really well with the the cool ocean climate. So that was a big big factor for us, Adam. Uh, the the turf has done extremely well throughout the country, as we know. Uh, but to be able to find one that that will do well in our climate uh, was really important to us. Yeah, it's a really good point. I I do remember being out there like the first two days for uh, advance week last year. And it was like whatever, late May and I'm coming from the Northeast and it was like sunny and 65 and e everyone that worked at Olympic club, I feel like was just raving about the weather. And I'm like, what's the big deal? And then uh, we didn't see the sun <laughs> for the rest of the championship. So it, it, yeah, it's the shade component, the Marine layer, the that's uh, that is a very unique challenge. I mean, it's nice that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't uh, fire up and be, you know, 95 and humid, but um, yeah, you got to have sunlight for, uh, for bank grass. So uh, nice to have a uh, MPCC nearby to be able to kind of see, you know, how well things have worked there. Yes, absolutely. 
I wanted to dive a little deep into uh, the establishment process, and I totally get if you're still kind of working this thing out. I don't think that's too uncommon for people to kind of have a basic plan and then even tweak it, um, you know, as, as they get to it. So what what right now can you tell me in terms of like your plans for the final prep of the root zone? Um, you know, are you going to, you know, planning any, any amendments, um, you know, your growing fertility program, even like I just saw this on Twitter the other day. Um, I've always been a proponent of using like leaf rakes turned upside down, kind of going in two directions. But early on in my career, I heard people raving about the using the bunker knobby tires to sort of dimple the seed in. So what, what can you share in terms of your final root zone prep for people that might be doing this type of work at their course? So I'll call myself old timer because I'm getting there, uh, 53 years old. Um, I still believe in the uh, the knobby tires on the Sand Pro. I think that's just the the best, absolute best. But that being said, Ad, said Adam, we are sodding. So oh okay. Uh, yeah, a little curveball at you. So there you go. Our our uh, our grass is being grown in Southern California with West Coast turf. In uh, seeded that in about mid April, um, with really the direction of trying to keep it as lean as possible. Uh, we don't want to grow, you know, serious turf down there, a big thatch layer and and transport that up here. So uh, so as far as our prep, uh, once we get the, the greens floated out and pretty close to where we want them, we're going to install a few products uh, from Earthworks uh, along with uh, Ecolite uh, and incorporate it into the top six inches. So. We're still doing some testing as far as final rates, uh, uh, both uh, with Sam and then with uh, uh, Nutrient Lab. Uh, so that that the final numbers are, are not quite there yet, but uh, uh, that's that's going to be the process uh, before we uh, uh, lay the sod. And it's is it wash sod? No, not going to do wash sod. We we grew it on a, a sand medium that closely resembles gotcha uh, our sand. Yep. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That'll, that'll give you a chance to get off and running. And it's funny, we actually have a, an article coming out in a couple of days talking about the, uh, the benefits of siding, but then the, you know, there's always the, the managing that layer afterwards and getting that out. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, that'll, that'll be awesome. Yeah. Uh, get, I want to get back. I forgot a question about the root zone mixture itself. Um, this is one where there's, there's certainly, especially courses that, kind of are, are hosting championships or want to host championships and are doing greens construction and trying to do everything they can to promote firm conditions. Um, so did you guys look at anything with Sam and his team um, around the coefficient uniformity value um, in the root zone mix and maybe other physical properties that would help promote firmness? Or was it just like we we've, we want something that has a good balance of aeration and porosity and are not as concerned about like a high CU value? Put it this way, I think Sam is sick of me sending samples to him at uh, Turf and Diagnostic. <laughs> uh, it took us a long time, Adam. We started in March uh, really diving into this. I learned a great deal. Uh, Brian Whitlark has taught me so much about this. I've talked to Darren Bavard as well um, uh, about the, especially the CU factor. Uh, but Brian has been a huge help in this, uh, teaching us uh, the importance of this, the CU factor, uh, coefficient uniformity, as well as uh, one of the Brian's really big thing is 
trying to get the capillary porosity and the non-capillary porosity very close to each other. Um, to give you an idea, our uh, capillary porosity is 22.2 and non-capillary is 21.7, so obviously pretty much the same. Uh, that didn't happen at first. Some of the, the sands that we were testing uh, were really droughty, really hard to hold water, which you know, just, just makes to the point where you're having a tough time holding water, nutrients, you're tending to overwater to compensate. So we were really trying to keep keep that factor easier for us to manage, uh, both on fertility and water. And then also with a little bit higher CU, uh, trying to keep the firmness there. Um, as you probably remember for the open, our, our former green, or our current greens, I guess I should say, uh, we never had a problem with firmness, and the CU on that was about 2.7 on those greens that were built uh, by my predecessor, uh, Pat Finland. Uh, so we really wanted to try to mimic that. Well, shoot, some of the sands we were getting were 2.0, 2.1. So we were really struggling to try to find out how we could increase that uh, to the point of looking at some different soil options. Um, so some sands that were a little bit dirtier to incorporate with these sands. Um, but we just never found a consistent source that we liked. So uh, in the end, we chose one that was a, a company called Brown Sand out here that makes a very nice greens mix. And uh, that's why we're, we're looking at some other, uh, you know, some of the things Ecolite to help hold some, uh, some increased CEC and some, some things like that to, to help us uh, uh, grow good solid greens. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it, Brian. It, I mean, Brian and I worked together on um, on the the last update for the uh, USG recommendations. So yeah, he's a great source of information. And um, your point about even looking at sort of the the dirty mix, if you will, some parts with soil. I think sometimes that's uh, something that's lost on people is that you can actually put in a little bit of soil and still have a, a USGA green. Um, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be cool to see the final product. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm obviously very excited to get this going. So, so other other parts of the project, um, you got. Do you have any drainage work or, or tree work uh, that's that's going on that you're going to kind of tackle while you're, uh, you're you're doing all the other stuff? You know, not a, not a whole lot. We we are taking out 25 trees throughout the property, but we're actually putting back in about uh, 34, I believe, is the number. So. Uh, back in the, the 2000s, uh, the club removed a lot of trees in this course, so they, they did a great job. We lose probably about 20 to 30 trees a year on average through, uh, uh, through death. Uh, pine trees are at the end of the life cycle, plus there's a, uh, uh, a disease that's been hitting them for a long time. Um, so just kind of through, through attrition, it, we keep losing trees. So there's a few areas Gil wants to add some trees back in. So, so that's really the biggest tree work component. Uh, and as you know, uh, Adam, but maybe not everybody knows, trees are a really big part of this golf course. The, the Monterey Cypress and the Monterey Pines are amazing trees and just gorgeous. And they really, really are a big part of this, this golf course. So it's not like clear cutting trees would be a, a, good, a good move for this facility. Yeah, very well said there. It's uh, it you know, they, it's got to be a right balance, you know, and every course, you know, has to has to figure out what that, you know, balance means for them with with sort of the, how the trees work with the golf course. Um, 
Yes, and see, you know, you guys have a, a bit of an advantage with just such cool trees out there. Um, a lot of golf courses are dealing with, you know, Norway spruce trees and kind of old white pines and, you know, maybe not the most uh, specimen quality <laughs> golf course trees. So maybe a little bit easier to have a ratio where, you know, there's there's 25 trees taken down and maybe five good ones replaced um, as opposed to your ratio. But uh, no, that'll be neat to see. Yeah, absolutely. I also read your project includes um, a new irrigation system. So uh, I guess give me a rundown about, you know, kind of the the issues um, that you were having with the old system, uh, sort of some new features or important features that you're incorporating into this system. And then curious if you're doing anything, you know, maybe maybe unique isn't the right word, but, you know, anything like maybe a little bit different, like drip irrigation or something like that. Yeah, it's it's a great question. So our, back in the uh, 80s, they replaced the main lines out here on uh, all three golf courses. And then for some reason, so they had the 87 open and then the uh, uh, 98 open. And for some reason, before the 98 open, they went back and replaced the val- lateral valves, lateral pipe, heads, and controllers. So we have a little bit of a, a hybrid setup, if you will, uh, as far as longevity of the pipes. Well, unfortunately, back in the 80s, there were these uh, these fittings, elbows, uh, tees, that uh, had a, uh, a coating over them. And the, the coating, oh gosh, I'm forgetting uh, what the name of it is, I'm sorry. But anyways, uh, uh, we've had a lot of leaks uh, through these uh, fittings. So that, that's been our biggest concern. So luckily we're, we're putting a new system all the way from start to finish on the lake course. Uh, unfortunately, the ocean and the cliffs are gonna have to wait in a few years, but uh, uh, that's, gonna, that's coming. Uh, we're going with HDPE pipe, uh, Rainbird, uh, all Rainbird system. Uh, really excited to, uh, to get going on that. It's gonna be a two wire system, so we'll get rid of all of our clocks. Uh, we're, we have spray heads around all of our bunkers and we're going to put that back uh, to help with uh, keeping the both the bunker edges and the sand on the slopes uh, moist. Uh, so that that's really the, the main thing that we're doing, Adam. There's no, no special sauce. Uh, uh, obviously, you know, the central control and all that kind of good stuff. But to me, the biggest thing that we're doing is we're adding a greens loop out here. So we are we have uh, recycled water, uh, reclaimed wastewater for the entire facility uh, with a mandate that we have to use at least 70% effluent water. Um, the other, the rest of the water is from our, one of our two deep wells. So uh, we figured out a way to be able to plumb off of our well uh, a, a special small pump station that will be out by number 16 in the lake and uh, that's going to feed all of our greens, both uh, the head thrown in and the head thrown out. So very excited to get well water on these greens because it, it gets tough, you know, as the year goes on without us having any rain from April through October, essentially, you know, every time we irrigate the greens, we're, we're adding nitrogen to it. And uh, also uh, phosphorus, there's a lot of phosphorus in our water. So that's gonna be huge for us. Yeah, just get get some 
get, get the ability to sometimes flush out some of the, the bad stuff in there too. So, you know, with the new irrigation system, any, you know, any parts of the supply chain that are affecting that, or did you guys kind of have enough lead time to prepare? Yeah, we had enough lead time. Uh, fortunate for me back, we thought we were going to redo the irrigation system starting last year uh, before we ever knew we were going to start interviewing architects for renovation. So I had already worked uh, with both Rainbird and Toro. We, we did the bidding process. Uh, we committed to Rainbird. Uh, so when it came time uh, to go ahead with this project, oh, about a year ago, uh, we already had the, the specifications. I mean, Dave Taylor, our irrigation consultant, uh, did a great job of altering uh, the new greens complexes that Gill built and the T complexes, of course. Uh, but uh, uh, really, already had the system designed uh, pretty, pretty, pretty closely because we're not changing the fairways and rough on this project. It's really just T complex, greens complex, and we're adding 11 fairway bunkers. So. So it's a pretty quick turnaround. So they've had our order really kind of for years. The course has a strong history of, of hosting, you know, championships. It's, it's really in your DNA. And there was this 12 year stretch that started with uh, the women's open, um, you know, coming up, you'll have, yeah, the, the women's open, you'll have the U S amateur, uh, the women's amateur PGA championship, and then a Ryder cup, um, all in this 12 year stretch. So, how have the you know the preparing for those championships sort of factored into the decisions around this renovation? Yeah, it just tires me when I hear you say that. Um, <laughs> it, it's pretty pretty insane, um, uh, but it, but it's cool at the same point. Uh, yes and no, Adam. I mean, what we're doing, what Gil is doing, really is the big help is for our members. Our members are playing every day. And they love this golf course. I've never been at a club where they love their club as much as uh, the Olympic Club members. So we're, we're giving them bigger greens. We didn't talk about this, Adam, but we've expanded our fairways about 25% already. So they're much, much larger. Uh, we're doing this. We're doing this mainly for them. But at the same point, of course, we're not going to forget our DNA and our championship history and all the championships coming up. So. We've already talked about how the bigger greens will actually have the potential to challenge the best golfers in the world. Uh, and we also have a, a huge, huge, uh, uh, how can I say this, uh, a directory of you know, scratch golfers uh, that are members here, Marissa Marr being one of those. Um, so our club championships going on right now to be able to challenge those those players at the same time, it's, it's going to be it's going to be phenomenal. So uh, it, it's exciting. You know, you, you have the best amateurs playing both the men and the women in the next uh, 12 years. You have the best, you know, professionals playing the PGA Championship in 28. And then, shoot, who, who the heck knows what's going to happen for the Ryder Cup in 33? You know, what what course they're going to play and how they're going to how they're going to do that. So it, it, it's going to be an interesting uh, 12 years or so. Yeah, I, it does. I, I can understand why your first reaction is like. Oh boy, <laughs> um, you know, bringing it back to uh, to the present day here before we start thinking about the upcoming uh, stretch of championships um, and this project in particular. You know, what do you think? You know, is there one item that you think is going to have like the biggest impact on how the course looks and plays, um, or is there one thing that you're really looking most forward to in the in the finished product? 
you know, I always feel like the biggest impact on a golf course are bunkers. You know, what what the bunkering looks like, how the bunkering plays. You know, that's kind of what jumps out at you when you, you step back and look at a, a golf hole. And we are very much a second shot golf course. Even though we are adding 11 fairway bunkers, we're a Parkland golf course. You hardly lose a ball out here. Uh, but that second shot is really the big challenge. And our bunkers have morphed over the years uh, to something that really has kind of gotten away from the original DNA. So I'm excited to see Gil, how Gil is going to give us both that that bunker that's very challenging, which the lake course still needs to continue to be challenging, but at the same time, be more enjoyable for the average golfer, uh, our average member. So that's going to be fun fun to see. I mean, turf-wise, I'm most excited about the greens because these greens are really difficult you know, to maintain with how small they are and how much play we get. At the same point, I, I think the transformation of the bunkers you know, in combination with the greens, but I think that's going to be the most exciting part. I, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see it too. I've already uh, been lobbying Darren uh, for the next time that you guys host the championship to uh, to let me help out um, and and be another uh, be another supporting agronomist out there. So, uh, really enjoyed the uh, the conversation, Troy. Best of luck that uh, things go you know smooth on schedule you know on on budget all that kind of stuff um it's going to be really exciting to kind of watch it unfold and and can't wait to see the finished product yeah thanks adam thanks for having me and uh i'll make sure to uh beat on uh darren's door and and get you out here in 25 for the amp sounds good Thanks for listening to the USGA Green Section podcast. Be sure to subscribe, listen, and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also keep up with the latest content on Twitter and by subscribing to the Green Section Record, our digital publication that's published twice a month.